welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to our next episode. We're in series six and this is episode seven and the topic is Jesus, the bread of life. We're in John chapter six, verses 22 to 59. I hope you've been following series six all the way through. But if you haven't, you can join the story at this point, of course. But the whole way we structure these series is following the story closely, trying to join together things in the narrative that really matter and are well connected in the mind of the gospel writers. Well, just going back a little bit to series three, that's when Jesus started his public ministry in Galilee. Series four was the Sermon on the Mount. Series five was his second tour around Galilee, but this time he had his apostles with him. And this led to an important moment that provides the start of series six, which is that Jesus then moved to a different strategy, which is sending the 12 apostles out in pairs around Galilee to preach and teach and to heal. Uh, So that was a real major development in his ministry, which we noted just at the beginning of this series. And that was followed by, in episode four, telling the story of the tragic execution of John the Baptist by the local regional ruler Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch and you'll probably remember the story of the circumstances of his execution but this was a really difficult moment in the ministry of Jesus and it led him to retreat with his apostles to get away from the crowds. You see, the problem was he was very popular with the crowds. He was reaching the height of his popularity. But the fact that Herod Antipas had executed John the Baptist suggests the possibility that his next target was Jesus himself. And Herod Antipas and Jesus, their headquarters, Tiberias and Capernaum, the two towns on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, were only a short distance apart. So It was a time of real vulnerability for Jesus and he took his 12 apostles away from Capernaum, his headquarters, around the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee to an area near the town of Bethsaida, only just a few kilometres along the coast. But as we saw in the previous episode when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, which was in episode five, we noticed that when Jesus tried to retreat, huge crowds followed him. And so this is the immediate background to the episode that we're going to talk about today is actually the feeding of the 5,000. Now this is told in all four gospels. We're going to follow John's story because John develops the story by telling us of an absolutely amazing dialogue that took place between Jesus and the crowd shortly after the feeding of the 5,000 back in Capernaum. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Now, on the way back, Jesus asked his disciples to go by boat, the boat they'd obtained, to go back to Capernaum. He went on his own to pray and he joined them miraculously walking on water in stormy situation on the Sea of Galilee in the famous incident that we saw in episode six. So we're taking up the story very shortly after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 was a huge miracle. 5,000 men, possibly another five or six or 7,000 women and children as well, 
you know, we could have 10,000 plus people being fed on the hillside miraculously by the breaking of the bread and the multiplication of the bread and the fishes likewise. And we told that story very clearly in the episode two before this one. But we're taking up the story straight away. I mean, it had a huge impact on the crowd and they dispersed gradually. Some people stayed in that area. Some people wanted to look for Jesus to talk to him further. And the story is left slightly unfinished. But John completes the story by telling us what happens in the immediate period after this. And this is when Jesus begins to teach about the concept of him being the bread of life, taking up the theme of bread and feeding from the feeding of the 5,000, bearing in mind that bread was the staple food of Jewish people at that time, as it is for many people in the world today. Bread is a staple food. You might live in a country where rice is the staple food, so that would be the equivalent. But in their context, bread was the staple food. He'd fed the crowd of many thousands on the hillside with bread that was multiplied. And this symbol is going to be absolutely central to what we talk about in this episode. We take up the story with verses 22 to 24 of John chapter 6, which I'm going to read. This just introduces the discussion. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So you'll remember that Jesus had returned to Capernaum in the boat, having joined the disciples after walking on water. So he's gone back to Capernaum. And as we described before, on a number of occasions, Capernaum is the base, the headquarters of Jesus's ministry. It's the home of some of the disciples, notably Peter and his family. And Jesus was based there. This is where he came back to after he'd been traveling around different parts of Galilee and nearby districts. So he comes back to Capernaum now, and many people are following him back, including this particular group who are going to be the subject of this discussion, because as we'll see in the next few verses, they start asking questions of Jesus, which provokes some very profound teaching from him. So you can imagine the situation. Everybody's heard that Jesus has performed this astonishing miracle, which is a really unusual miracle. It's not the sort of thing he did regularly. This is the first time we've got such a remarkable multiplication of food. And it happens again with the feeding of 4,000 a little bit later on, different location. So people would be really buzzing with the news of this extraordinary miracle that had happened. And then Jesus goes back to Capernaum and we find at the end of our passage in verse 59 that the teaching that we're just about to discuss took place while Jesus was in the synagogue of Capernaum. So you can imagine the scene, huge crowd on the hillside, many people coming back to Capernaum, milling around the streets, and as many as could squeeze into the synagogue came to talk to Jesus at this particular point. They were hoping that Jesus was going to create a political revolution at this point, because it says in John 6, verse 15, 
at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So it's a moment of heightened popularity. And he was wanting to teach into this situation. And he uses metaphorical language all the way through the teaching that we're going to look at. He's talking particularly about the metaphor of bread, not literal bread, but spiritual bread and in the light of the feeding of the 5,000. Let's read the first section, verses 25 to 29. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus contrasts normal physical food with spiritual food and the spiritual food is basically having faith in Christ believing in him and putting your trust in him because the spiritual food of believing in Christ leads to eternal life you can earn your daily bread you can get enough money to eat you can fulfill your material needs now but that's all temporary, Jesus is pointing out. He said the really important eternal thing is to eat the food that brings you eternal life. And metaphorically speaking, that means connecting to Jesus Christ by faith. He challenges them here about their motives. Did you come to see the miracles just for your own benefit, just because you're hungry, do you eat the food that I can miraculously produce? Or are you interested in the deeper questions? That's what he is provoking them to think about at this point. Let's read on verses 30 to 33. So they asked him, what sign then would you give that we may see it and believe you? What would you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, they're referring back to the days when the Jewish people were in the wilderness, having come out from Egypt, escaped from Egypt and from slavery. And before they'd entered into the promised land, there was a 40 year period where miraculously, while they were in the desert, we call it the Sinai Desert, south of Israel today. While they were in that desert, every single day, God provided a miraculous substance called manna, which was like bread, which they found every morning when they woke up in the morning, wherever they were in the Sinai desert, which they could eat and it supplied their essential needs. That's what they're referring to. And that is a precursor, 
it's an image of something that Jesus develops here. Now that manner was miraculous, but again, it didn't last permanently. And so Jesus is leading them on from an understanding of miraculous bread in the Old Testament to say that there's miraculous bread of life in the New Testament, which is associated with his person, faith in him and following his ways. And so we come to verses 34 to 40, which is the main teaching that Jesus brings in this section. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is a magnificent passage. It's a famous passage. And it starts with this wonderful statement of Jesus identifying who he is by a metaphor, an image. I am the bread of life. Now, there are seven different images like this in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to come to that in just a moment. This is the first of seven statements, which starts with I am and then there's an image or a metaphor to describe an aspect of who Jesus is. Here it says, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus provides for the most fundamental needs of each human person. Just as our most fundamental needs in the physical sense are to eat enough food and to have enough water to drink, this is absolutely the most fundamental thing for us as humans. So in a spiritual sense, our most fundamental need is the salvation that Jesus brings and the eternal life that follows and this comes through active faith in him. Jesus is drawing them away from just observing his miracles, being close to him, being interested in what he does, to, to ask them a deeper question. Do you actually believe in me as the son of man, the son of God, the savior of the world? Do you actually put your trust in me because I am the bread of life? So he's promising that our deepest needs will be met through faith in him. This is a magnificent and wonderful promise. So our deepest needs, even beyond our physical needs, are the needs for meaning, for purpose in life, uh, 
the need for forgiveness of our sins, the need for relationship with God and the need to be sure of eternal life, that this life is not the end and we don't end up at the end of this life being judged by God, having disbelieved in him. These are our deepest needs which are implied in the provisions here that Jesus promises in this first of seven I am statements that appear in John's gospel. I'll just briefly mention the others. They all come later on in John's gospel and Jesus speaks these other six statements in a different location. All of them are in Jerusalem when he's present there, as we'll discover later on. Much of John's gospel is focused around the city of Jerusalem. Here are the other statements. I am the light of the world, John 9 verse 5. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11 verse 25. I am the gate, John 10 verse 9. I am the good shepherd, John 10 verse 11. I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14 verse 6. And I am the true vine, John 15 verse Verse 1. Now, each of these are metaphors or images that illustrate different aspects of who Jesus is. And here is the first one I am the bread of life. Faith in Jesus, according to this passage, leads to three things spiritual satisfaction, verse 35, and in verse 40, both eternal life and physical resurrection from the dead. This is a wonderful passage, very meaningful. But despite all that Jesus says here, it's not going so well with some people in the crowd. Verses 41 and 42. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven. So unbelief is there. Despite Jesus's miracles and despite all the wonderful things he says about himself, unbelief is there. Many people are resisting the implications of what he says. So he gives further explanation. Verses 43 to 52. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give 
for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So these further explanations are provoking them to think more deeply. Jesus says that no one can come to him unless the Father draws them, verse 44. He says that he is the Messiah promised in the prophets, quoting Isaiah 54, verse 13. He says that his ministry is superior to the old covenant of Moses and the time of Moses because the people who ate the manna in the wilderness, they died. It gave them spiritual sustenance, but it didn't give them eternal life. He's promising eternal life. He says he comes from the Father. He says he'll give them life. And there is confusion amongst the crowd. This whole idea that he's going to give his flesh for the life of the world is something that they find very, very confusing. So if he is the bread of life, and yet he's going to die, and somehow or other his body is going to be the means by which people benefit, this is introducing a new idea that they find very, very difficult to understand. Now, we can look at that idea from the point of view of knowing the whole story. Because we know that in a very literal and real physical sense, Jesus gave his body, body for us on the cross because he was willing to die for us and that death was a substitutionary death that death was a sacrificial death that death was an atoning death that meant that he could take away our sins by being the substitute who took our sins upon himself we'll discuss the atonement and its substitutionary benefits in much more detail when we deal with the events of the crucifixion much later on in our teaching. But Jesus is alluding to this here. He's pointing forward prophetically to the fact that his body is somehow or other going to be bread for them, sustenance for them, because he's going to die. He's going to give his flesh for the life of the world. This is a challenging teaching and you can see the crowds are confused. They're beginning to argue amongst themselves. There are people who are attracted to what Jesus is teaching. There are people who are confused. There are people who are becoming quite hostile. There are people who find some of the ideas he's introducing quite offensive. There are people who don't understand that he's talking in metaphorical language. And so in the final passage I'm going to read to you, which is the final part of this passage in today's episode, Jesus challenges the crowd in the synagogue to make a decision. Verse 53 to 59. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven." Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live 
forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Well, this metaphorical language continues to be the basis upon which Jesus communicates, talking about his blood as well as his flesh, and talking about drinking blood and eating flesh. It sounds very graphic, doesn't it, that he's using these images. And I think he's using this metaphorical language to really stir their thinking and challenge them to make a decision. Let's reflect now on some things we can learn from this passage. First of all, I notice that Jesus identifies a distinction in the motivation that people have for wanting to know about Jesus. Some want a miracle or some other provision for them. They just want him to do something for them, as many of the crowd did in the feeding of the 5,000. Others are wanting to find answers to deeper spiritual issues. And basically, as Jesus talks to this crowd in the synagogue at Capernaum, he's drawing a distinction and making a division between those two particular motivations. People who were with him just very shortly before this on the mountainside, absolutely thrilled at the provision of bread and fish, were now critical of him as he speaks about these deeper issues. The crowd was divided, just like humanity is divided about Jesus. He makes the point overwhelmingly that true spiritual satisfaction comes from following him. We get true sense of identity, of meaning in life, of purpose, even if our lives are very hard, when we know we're following him and we're heading towards eternity with him. This passage also emphasises the central importance of faith, trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus. That's what's underlying the whole theology that he's bringing here. To eat the bread of life, so to speak, is to believe in Jesus wholeheartedly as the Son of God who came to die for us. We also notice in this passage that there are two aspects of every person's salvation. First of all, God works in our hearts in such a way as to open us up to the possibility of believing in Jesus. And secondly, we have to make a personal response. God's initiative and our response. Those two things are often seen together in the Bible and they're seen together here. This leads us to my final comment, which is really to answer the question, how does this connect with the Lord's Supper or the communion, which is a sacrament instituted by Jesus at the end of his ministry. Is Jesus directly talking about the bread and the wine of the communion when he's using this metaphorical language about his flesh and his blood? I don't think he's talking about the communion directly. He's using metaphorical language in a more general sense without reference to anything to do with that sacrament directly. But there is an indirect link. And so I'm going to conclude this episode by quoting the words of Jesus from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20, on the occasion 
in the Last Supper in the upper room the night before Jesus died, when he broke the bread and he shared the wine, the cup of wine amongst his disciples, and he instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper or the communion with these words. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Here we see powerful symbols which also have a spiritual reality attached to them, which really help us to understand and reimagine what it is for Jesus to die for us. So there's a connection between the two. But the primary point in our passage today is about Jesus being the full provision for us, the bread of life, and the need for us as individuals to put our full trust in him. This crowd in Capernaum was divided. Some wanted to become his disciples and some were on the point of backing off discipleship altogether despite all the miracles and all the amazing things he did. So that choice lies before you and me just as much as it did for that crowd in the synagogue at Capernaum. My encouragement to you is either to confirm your faith if you're already a believer in Jesus, or secondly, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus, to make a decision for him, because he is the bread of life. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you'll join us for the next one. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.